Acts chapter 2, specifically verses 42 through 47. Speaking of the, the, the believers, the New Testament church who just received the Holy Spirit and heard the first sermon from the Apostle Peter and believed, this is what, how it describes their fellowship, their community together. And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are asking by your grace, by your spirit, that you wouldn't only teach us, Lord, but that you would transform us. God, our brains are so full of truths about you, of details from this last week and the week ahead. God, that what we need is not more information. We need transformation, God. We pray that you would align our minds and our hearts to yours, and that you would unite us one to another as the body of Christ, knit together with Christ as our head. And so Jesus, would you teach us, Spirit, would you transform us? Not as we take and apply these things throughout the week, but right now, God, would you change our hearts, make us new, uh, make us a community that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when I was a child, my dad always used to tell us when we would go certain places that he wanted me and my siblings to be on our best behavior. Um, if you are a parent, you have told your children the same thing, no doubt. Uh, and if you are, uh, all of you are a, a children, a children at some point, you have been told, uh, be on your best behavior. For me and my siblings, whether it was at a relative's house or a restaurant or you know wherever we were, this was simple for us. It was keep your voices down, keep your bodies still, and for the love of all that is holy, don't hit your brother. Just if, if, if we could avoid breaking out in some wrestling match or fist fight uh, at grandma's house, like my dad was pretty pumped. Why do we want our kids to be on their best behavior? As I've had my own kids, and I've no doubt said this exact same thing to them as we were driving to church this morning, I realize that the reason I want my kids to be on their best behavior is because I believe that they, in their behavior, show the world what I am like. See, we believe that well-behaved children indicate good parenting. And so I'm not concerned about them showing you all respect by their behavior. I'm not concerned about them, you know, treating their, their friends here at church with love and respect. I am afraid that they're going to make me look bad. And that's awful because it's not true. 
But yet we believe that, that our, our kids are just little billboards running around, putting how good of a dad or how good of a mom or how not good of a dad or not good of a mom we are. And we all do this. It's not just parents. We all present ourselves, want to be presented at our best. Right? This is why you detailed your car before you posted it on Instagram. It doesn't matter that the engine is leaking and that it gets stuck in second gear. It's clean. And that's what we want people to see. Or those of us that clean our houses before people come over. Right? We want to be the kind of people, we want, think, we want people to think that we are the kind of people that always have a clean house, always have well-behaved children, and our vehicles are in working order. Like that's, that's what we want. This is why social media exists. Instagram specifically, to put out your, your best behavior. This is the way I want the world to see me. I'm going to hide this stuff and put this out there. This is not a lie. These are true things. It's just, you know, don't pay attention to that over there. If you want to see that, go to Twitter. That's where we just let it all hang out. Twitter is where, the, where we put our worst impressions out there. So we've always been doing this. We don't need social media in order to, to present like perfectly curated lives. And churches do the same thing. Communities do the same thing. Just look at any church's social media accounts or their website. Look at ours. Hey, like we're just trying to put our best foot forward, trying to, trying to put out there what we want people to think about us. You're only going to see things when you look at a church's social media and their website. You're only going to see pictures of things that demonstrate the values the church is pursuing. You're not going to see the failures to operate according to those values. They're there. You know they're there. We can talk about those things, but we don't put it on the website because we want to be known for what we are for and what we are pursuing. We're not going to sweep them under the rug, but we're not going to advertise them either. This is why you're not going to see photos of people in our church living in sin. But guess what? There are people in this community living in sin. You're not going to see uh, pictures of marriages in crisis. But guess what? There are times our marriages are in crisis. And you're not going to go on the website and find some theological paper written by the dude in your home group who's obsessed with the Nephilim. He's there. God bless him. But it's not going to be on the website. Okay, we put our best foot forward because we want people to know us by what we're for, not by our flaws. So we want people to see us at our best. When all things are going well, this is what people can expect to experience in community in this place. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, that passage we just read, is doing something similar in the context of the early church. It is a summary statement concerning the communal life of the church in its earliest moments. And as such, it's like a landing page for the New Testament church's website. It's like a social media thing. Hey, tell me about your church. Well, this is what we're doing. 
Okay, this is what, this is the kinds of things we're promoting. This is the kind of life and community we're trying to shape. It presents the ideal. It does not present every detail. It presents the ideal. This is what things were like when the church was at its best. And so because of this, this is one of the passages that people will point to and say, gosh, I wish the church were just like an Acts 2 church. Gosh, why can't the church be like Acts 2? Why can't we be like the New Testament church? You see people all the time just saying like, the church today doesn't look like it did in the New Testament. I would argue the contexts are very different, but that's another conversation. But people long to get back to this place when the church was like it was. Cool. Let's keep reading. Okay, because in chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira lie about their generosity and God strikes them dead. Kind of sneaks up on you in chapter five. Like it, you know, it it hits different. Chapter six, the the Greek widows are withholding food from, or sorry, the, the Hebrew widows are withholding food from the Greek widows. There's, we got some like racial tensions going on in the church. Simon Magus wants to use the Holy Spirit for his own power, his own glory. Peter has racist tendencies. And so Paul has to rebuke him to his face in front of everybody. And then there's false teachers running around trying to demand that non-Jewish converts be circumcised. Imagine that happening. You there, come with me. I've scheduled you an appointment. Like, okay, it's, they, there was mess. Church is messy. Community is messy. Even in the New Testament church, Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a beautiful picture of the ideal. This is what happens when the church is at its best, but it doesn't mean there's not a mess. Okay, there's still a mess. And so the question that I want to ask us today is, what does it look like for us to be at our best? What does it look like for Reality Carpinteria to be operating as, as, as desired, as designed? What is God's heart for us? What kind of people would we be? What kind of community does God want to establish here? Well, our, our passage, I believe, gives us a good starting point first. We're at our best when we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're at our best when we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay, these people, the early church, regularly gathered together. Jesus had, had come. He had called 12 apostles. He died on the cross. He raised from the dead. He, he instructed them after his resurrection. He ascended to heaven, giving them commands to go, therefore, and baptize, make disciples of all nations and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so the apostles take this instruction from Jesus, and then they go and they are teaching them all that Jesus has commanded them, all that he's done for them, all that he has shown them. And so specifically, we have summaries of of these sermons throughout the book of Acts. We have summaries of the sermons of some of the apostles, and we can look at them and figure out, okay, what, what were they teaching? Okay, how can we today, without 
you know, Peter, James, and John, and Thaddeus, and, you know, all the, the, the apostles, Thomas, and, you know, without them teaching us, you know, how do we, how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, all of their teaching throughout the book of Acts always centered around Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Okay, they uh, would preach, they would use passages from biblical books from the Old Testament. They would use situations going on in culture and going on in the church community, but they always centered their teaching around the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so we can teach lots of things as a church. There's lots of important things that, that we can learn and be instructed in and grow in. Lots of ways to understand how we relate to the culture and, and to live as parents and, and children and, and students and, and coworkers and employers and, and all of these important things. Uh, but if we, if we stray away from the teaching of the apostles, if we stray away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we stray away from Jesus, his life, death, his resurrection, the simple truths of the good news, then we stray too far from the teaching of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 2.2, the apostle Paul said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The apostle Paul was a brilliant man. His knowledge of the scriptures were incredible. And when he's among the Corinthians, he says, I'm only gonna talk about the death. I'm only gonna talk about the cross of Christ. I'm only gonna talk about what Jesus has done for you because this is what we need to know. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would go on to, and talking to Christians, talking to people, brothers and sisters, believers, and he says, I would remind you of the gospel that I proclaim to you. Okay, and, and he again proceeds to communicate to them the truths of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ you know, he, he, he died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Like he's, he's still so focused. These are people who believe. He says, you gotta be reminded. You gotta be reminded because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is, 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 is the, it's, it's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And it's, and it's power for our transformation by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so for our church, it would be my hope that we would have a keen understanding of the gospel and how it applies to every aspect of our lives. Look, many of us learned the gospel a long time ago, but it takes a lifetime to learn how it continues to apply to every aspect of our lives, how the good news of Jesus impacts every moment of every day and every relationship that we have. And so when we study the scriptures, the, the, the teachings of the apostles written down for us in the New Testament, right? When we apply them to our lives, we learn how to live lives that are centered around the gospel in our contexts. We're at our best when we're devoted to the apostles' teachings, but we're also at our best, the text says, when we're devoted to one another. When we are, when we are devoted to the fellowship, the text says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, the word in the original language uh, is a word that lots of people like to make a fuss about. It's koinonia. Um, a, a better translation 
uh, for the word koinonia would be communion. Um, ben Witherington III in his commentary on the book of Acts says that koinonia means the sharing in common of something with someone else. So we do this all the time. Anytime we're like, hey, you want some of this? You want to you you share this? You want to split a plate at the restaurant? Do you want to go enjoy this movie together? Do you want to? Anytime we share something with someone else, there's an opportunity for this communion, this koinonia. It's not just about having common interest, but it's about participating in that interest together. Um, shortly after I moved to Carpinteria, I was at a barbecue with some friends and there was a, a guy there that I had never met before. And we just started to talk and it was very, uh, it was, it was very uh, obvious early on in the conversation. We're like, we're going to be friends uh, because dude loves baseball, uh, played water polo in high school. Uh, and was, both of us were currently at that time training jujitsu. Uh, so we were like baseball, water polo, jujitsu, like we're, we're going to be friends. But at that point, we were just talking about common interests. So I went and got a membership at the jujitsu school where he was training. And now we were communing, trying to choke each other out. <laughs> and it was amazing. Okay, we have communion. The same goes for hunting or camping or surfing. It's one thing to talk about it. It's, it's, it's communion when you actually go and do it together. One is a common interest. The other is communion. It's actually uniting you, bringing you together. You're sharing life together. And so in this case, in the book of Acts, what is being shared is specifically meals, the breaking of bread, and prayers. See, this list They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers is not a list of four, it's a list of two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, specifically the breaking of bread, communing at meals, and communing in prayer. The fellowship and the prayers are illustrating what that communion looked like on a day-to-day basis. So sharing meals in this culture were typically only done between two people of like status, right? You, uh, uh, those at the upper end of society and those at the lower end of society, they didn't eat with each other. They didn't. It was not socially acceptable. They stayed with their own people. And so the thing that was so remarkable about the New Testament church is that you had people at the highest end of society and the dregs of society sharing meals together, sitting down around table together. And the rest of the world looked at this and said, what in the world is going on? This is different. This is, this, this doesn't, this doesn't make me feel good. This doesn't, look like something I want to be involved in because then I would have to associate with people like that or I'm not allowed to associate with people like that. And so these meals ultimately culminated not just in the sharing of bread together, but they culminated in the celebration and remembrance of the Lord's Supper, the, the body and blood of Jesus, the bread and the cup, something that we do every Sunday. It's available here at the front of the stage as a picture, not just of them sharing meals together, not just of them communing in life together, but specifically communing in Christ and in salvation together. This bread, this cup is why 
all of these people from all different classes of society can come together and enjoy one another's company because in Christ, we are one. Because of what Jesus has done by his broken body and his shed blood, we are all the same. We are sinners saved by grace. And so it doesn't matter what we have or what we've done. We are welcome by the blood of Christ. And so these meals would remember that and commemorate that. And so when we celebrate communion here on Sundays, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's not just an individual thing. Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. It's Lord, thank you for forgiving all of us, our sins. God, thank you for the unity that we have. Thank you for the family that we have. Thank you for the life that we have together in you. And they had fellowship in this way. They also experienced fellowship in prayer. Communing together in prayer meant that they were talking to Jesus together, right? Jesus isn't just a common interest that we have. We can actually, like camping, we can go and talk to Jesus together. We can, we can go camping together, not just talk about camping. We can go and talk to Jesus together, okay? And, and in that moment, we have communion, not only with God, but with one another. So a, sharing in a deeply profound relationship with God through prayer. But the text goes on because it's not just meals and prayers, that are symbolic of their devotion to one another. It's not just meals and prayers that they shared. Their devotion to one another was expressed in the way that Christians would sell their possessions and give to one another as any had need. Now remember, think, think about this. I was a, a science major for a long time. The, the world works in this way. Things flow from high concentration to low concentration, right? Uh, if you've got a um, like compressed air in a normal room and then you like open the valve, the compressed air comes out because it's highly concentrated. It wants to go to the low concentration, right? Uh, temperature does the same thing. This is, this is how diffusion and osmosis work. Things cross barriers because they're trying to get from high concentration to low concentration. This is how weather patterns work and all sorts of stuff. This is how the world works, Okay? And so the church recognized, oh my goodness, we are in this familial system. We are one with one another. Our identity is united in who Christ is and, and is, is we, we share in that together. And so now I have a responsibility. What I have to, to, to bless. It just made sense to them. We're, we're one, we're family. You don't have, I have, have. And they supported one another and they, and they cared for one another. Okay, they shared all that they had and all that they were with one another. And we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, that all we are and all we have is all for Jesus. Well, this text demonstrates that by their radical generosity to one another. And all of this, um, this, 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 because of this way of life with one another, um, it says that they had favor with all the people. The, the community of Christians, they had favor with people in their first century context. And that day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
the church grew dramatically with people giving their lives to Jesus. They still had their problems. The church still had its problems from the outside and from within. But this is the church at its best, devoted to the apostles' teachings, devoted to one another, sharing meals, sharing life together, praying together, and contributing to the needs that other people have, bearing one another's burdens. This is the church at its best. And because of that, they had favor with the community. Now, when we think about that, oh my goodness, the church was acting this way and they had favor with all the people. But then you read the New Testament, you're like, yeah, not everybody liked those guys. The, you know, they, they certainly had their enemies. There were people in the community that despised the church. And this is, this is, this is true for us as well. Um, the favor that the church experienced was a result of their communion. It was not the aim of their communion. They didn't water down truth to get people to like them. And we don't have to water down the gospel in order to uh, get people to like us. We, we need to ramp community up. Okay, we don't need to water things down. They, didn't, they weren't like, oh, we really want the Romans to like us. And so we're not gonna tell them this part until later. That's not how they worked, okay? They loved one another so well that people from outside the community were like, this is crazy. Why do they do this? In fact, there are letters that uh, high up Roman officials wrote to one another. And, and, and many of them are like, these troublemaking Christians, they take care of our people better than we do. We have to do something about that. And it was like, squash them, not take care of their people better, just squash the church. And so they, the, the people recognized their love for one another. And that was uh, appealing. See, the Jews believed that it was blasphemous to worship Jesus as Lord. And the, the Romans believed, they actually called Christians atheists because they did not worship the Roman pantheon of gods. And they called them troublemakers because they believed that when something bad happened to a city, it was because one of the gods was mad. Someone had not off, offered a right sacrifice and so obviously, if you got all of these people running around not worshiping the, the patron God of that community, they're going to be mad at the Christians. You guys got to make sacrifices, you dang you stinky atheists. Like you have to make sacrifices to this God. And if you don't, you are a plague on society. Bow down to this God or we will not put up with you. The culture today Church, bow down to what we say is true. Bow down to the false gods of sex and gender ideology and all of these things, or we will not put up with you. You are a plague on society. You are troublemakers, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. It's the same thing. There is nothing new under the sun. This is not progress. This is just finding new ways into old lies. We don't water it down. We don't get rid of the teaching of the apostles. We ramp up love. We ramp up communion. We ramp up generosity. We ramp up communion, koinonia, love for one another and unity. That is how we will convince the culture, not through wise arguments about biology and sociology and philosophy or anything like that. It is by love. 
and communion and the truth of the gospel that we are sinners and dead in our trespasses and sins, but God saved us. Amen? Amen. Listen to John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17, 22 through 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. This is Jesus speaking to God about us. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you love me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Our love for one another and our unity with one another is not only how the world will identify that you are truly Jesus' disciple. It is actually evidence to them that Jesus is from God. When they see the church living in communion, gracious, generous communion, they will say, there is nothing in all of planet earth that could make this happen. Jesus must be real. The Holy Spirit that unites them must actually be true. Our love and our unity is not only evidence of our discipleship, it is evidence to the world that the gospel is not a lie but it is the power of God unto salvation. This is beautiful. And so many of us will often ask, like, I want want people in my life to know Jesus. I wish that people would see something different about me. And I think this text would ask, are you loving one another? Are you loving one another? Are you sacrificing for one another? Are you meeting one another's needs? Are you serving one another? Are you prioritizing the good of another person? Or is church about what you can get? Is church about what you get out of it? Or is church about living in unity, in communion, in sharing in the worship of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, together? If not, then what do you expect them to see? You're living just like the rest of the world who use their possessions for their own glory and their own good and go to social events and clubs and have their own little rituals and ceremonies and things like that because it's what they enjoy. It's for their own good. We're living exactly the same way. You want them to see something different. What's different? Your, like, your morality? Look, there's a lot of people out there that are just as moral, sometimes more than any of us. They follow the rules. It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't mean that they are, you know, that what they believe is true. So what's different? What's different between us and them? And I have to ask, church, what is different? Are we living lives of radical communion with God and with one another? putting someone else's good before our own, giving up on good for ourselves and giving good to someone who has none. That's different. That's the different that people see. That is the different that God intended for people to see. See, this is why 
as a church, we have established home groups, okay? Shameless plug, all right? This is why we have established home groups. But I'll tell you right now, home groups are not the answer. Okay, joining a home group is not the answer. Joining a home group doesn't make somebody a good Christian. Home groups are the formal contexts, the the formal efforts of the church to create an environment where organic community can grow. Okay, it's like practice for a game, right? We have to, let's do these things. Let's get together, put ourselves in the right place at the right time and grow in these areas and learn how to do this so that our lives outside of the Sunday gathering, outside of our home group gathering is a life of communion with God and with one another, devotion to Jesus and to Jesus's people. They are not the answer. But for many of us, it is the step of faith that we need to take to begin growing in this way. See, many of us have a step of faith that we need to make today. Some of us, it's going to be showing up to the community dinner on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. to launch this new season of home groups. For some of you, it's going to be uh, going, to the, the, going online and, and signing up for a, a home group. For some of us, it's going to be you know, I've been in a home group or something like this and I've been at this church for a while. I need to take that step of faith and I need to, I need to start serving. I want to contribute. I need to start giving. I want to contribute. I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor. I don't want to just take, take, take. I, 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 want, I want to give or maybe I don't want to give, but I know that this is what God is calling me to do. So I take a step of faith and trust that he's going to provide for me the energy and the resources that I need in order to commune in this way, in order to actually treat one another in this room like equals, like family, like people that I've actually been given a responsibility to when Jesus saved me. We're all going to have a step of faith. For some of you, it's going to be, I just want the courage to say hi to somebody I don't know on Sunday. God bless you. Take that step of faith. Take that step of faith. For some of you, it's going to be coming to the baptism class today because I need to publicly declare my allegiance to Jesus and getting, and getting baptized this spring. We've all got a step of faith in this that we're going to need to take. What is that step of faith? See, this means that committing to the life of a a church is a commitment not to consume from the church or from the the home group, but seeking to contribute. See, oftentimes we just look for churches who will check our boxes, right? I want a church who is going to teach me the truth in a way that I can understand and apply. It's a good thing. And I want a church and I want people in my life who, who know me and support me even when I'm in desperate need, even when I'm a mess, Those are good desires. Those are good things to want in a church. But if we're so focused on what we can get from our church family, then we won't actually experience the church as family because we're not treating it as a family. We're treating it as a store that has certain goods that I can you know, get from the, the store. And if this store doesn't have what I like, then I'm going to go to that other store. And, and sometimes I like to go to this store because they have this thing. And then sometimes I like to go to that other store because they have this different thing. And we don't actually, we don't actually 
commit and contribute to a people, the same people, relationships with, with one another that can actually grow and we live fragmented lives and we become a fragmented community. And then we get frustrated and we look for a different church, one that looks more like the book of Acts. It's one, one like Acts 2, like where's that, where's that church? Not Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, or Acts 6 with the racism or, you know, things like that. Like it just, no, 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 no. I just want the Instagram church. I just want, I just want that church. It doesn't exist. Okay? It, it, it doesn't. It's not there. And it wasn't there in the New Testament church either. This is a summary of us when we are at our best. See, this text does not teach us about the kind of church we should look for. It teaches us the kind of people we should become. This is about the kind of people that we should become. And the only way we'll experience that change of heart, that change of desires, that change of communion with one another to contribute rather than consume is if we experience the power of Jesus' devotion to us. We need to come face to face with how truly Jesus was devoted to you. Talk about the 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 upper echelon of society, king and creator of heaven and earth and the dregs of society, you and me. He left it and gave it all that we might have what we need. That is reconciliation with God and life with our heavenly father eternally. Otherwise we are dead in our sins and cut off from everything that he has made for us. See, God made us to be his image bearers, to show the world what he is like. But Adam and Eve failed and everyone after them have failed. And so the image that we present to the world is at best like this fun house mirror that just distorts certain aspects of the way God has made us to be. But God didn't give up on his people. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth to show what it looks like for you and I, for humanity to be at our best. Okay, and so this is what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like Jesus who died and gave himself up for the good of those who would believe. And so we lay down our lives. We lay down our rights. Do you have a right to, you know, whatever it is that your heart right now feels like you're clinging to? Do you have a right to that? Maybe. But wouldn't you rather give up the right to cling to those things in order for others to know the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did not Jesus have the right to stay in heaven? Absolutely. Right, but though he did not, though he was, uh, uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage. But he emptied himself; he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant, and took on the form of of human flesh. And he became obedient to even to the point of death on a cross. That that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth would bow and and give glory to Jesus, so that we might know anything good. Jesus gave it all. The Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, do I not have the right 
to all of these things? To, do I not have the right? He's talking about the right to, 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 to marry and to eat meat and all of these things. Do I not have the right? But if it's going to get in the way of people knowing the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, I'll never eat meat again. I, yes, it's my right. I lay it down. I lay it down for the sake of those who will know Christ Jesus. And so Jesus gave it everything. It gave everything because he's devoted to his people. He's devoted to his body. He's, devo- he's devoted to you. Jesus is devoted to you. He's not going to give up on you. His death on the cross proves that. He could have taken himself down. He didn't. You know why? Because of you. Because he wanted to save you. He wants an eternity with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you. He wants communion with you. He doesn't just want you to talk about him. He wants you to be with him. He doesn't just want you to talk about him. He wants you to be with him. He wants to be with you. He doesn't go before his father in heaven and say, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. They're pretty cool. No, father, I want them. How do we, how do we save them? How do we save them from their sin? I gotta die? Send me, Lord. Send me gladly. I want them. He wants you. That tug on your heart that you feel right now that's, that, that, that's causing you to be afraid of this thing you might have to let go of. It's Jesus saying, I want you. I want everything about you. I want all of you. I don't just want the good things about you. I want the brokenness in you. Bring it to me because I'll put it back together. That broken relationship with that, that parent, that, that child, that friend that, that grieves you. Bring it all. I will heal it. Yes, I know you've experienced abuse in the church. I know you've experienced hurt in the church. I know you've been let down by the church, by the community. I know you've seen people not living like Acts chapter 2. You've seen people living like Acts chapter 5. You've seen people living like the book of Corinthians. You've seen people living like the, 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 the churches in Revelation. You've seen people living like all sorts of debauchery. I know that. That doesn't matter. I can heal it. Bring it to me. Jesus wants it and he'll put it together again. Don't let the, the, somebody else's failure that disappointed you prevent you from experiencing the life-giving, God-honoring blessing of community that he gives you today. I know it's painful. I know that it's difficult. I know that it hurts. But Jesus wants to give you his best And those in this room are a part of what that means. And you are a part of what that means for those in this room. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Commune with God, but be devoted to the communion of the saints. And we will experience what Christ desires for us. We will experience what it looks like for Reality Carpinteria to be at its best. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
The power for this kind of life comes by grace. It comes by the the same spirit that empowered Jesus for his ministry, for his life. That same spirit, if you believe, can empower you for this ministry, for this life, for this step of faith, for this thing that God is calling you to. And so let's devote ourselves to his word, to one another, and be desperate for Jesus and for the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live this way. This will be us at our best. Let's pray together. Father, make us a people who show the world what you are like. God, right now, break the chains that hold us in bondage to the lesser things of this world. Break the the, the chains that, that keep us in bondage to our possessions, Lord. We don't possess them, they possess us. God, heal the wounds that, that make us fearful of taking that step of faith and trusting another person when we've been so hurt. God, break pride and selfishness, break consumerism and empower us, Lord, to contribute the good things that you have given us, Lord. The best thing that you've given us is yourself. And we're given this promise that the Holy Spirit can manifest himself in our lives. The best thing that we have is your presence. And the Holy Spirit manifests that presence in our community, in our worship. And so Holy Spirit, I'm asking Manifest your presence among us now as we worship, as we pray, as we celebrate communion. God, may we experience your power just gently adjusting our hearts and emboldening us and empowering us to take these steps of faith to live like the community that you have called us to be. Reality Carpinteria at our best is when we look more like Jesus and nothing like ourselves. And so make us like Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen.